Would you stand and listen for God's Word? This morning out of Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know what time it is, how does now the moment for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone. The day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be God. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. We have heard it before. It seems pretty easy when we're sitting here surrounded by friends and family in the sanctuary. I have to love the person next to me. I can do that. Love your neighbor as yourself. But what about those people you don't like? Or how about those who don't like you? Who you feel are trying to harm you? Or saying nasty things about you? Or disagreeing with you? Or attacking you? Then how ready are you to love your neighbor as yourself? In the real world, I find it gets a good deal more complicated and complex to fulfill this commandment, this directive, this way of life for a Christian. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. One of you sent me a story recently about a mother who had raised three children and then went back to school. She was earning a college degree. She got through all of her classes really well. She was coming down to the final class. It was a sociology class. Her last project of the term was called SMILE. Her professor had been absolutely inspiring and teaching all the material, but then she said at the end of the course, I want you to go live some of this out. So here's the deal. Over the next couple of weeks before your final is due, I want you to go out and smile at least three people you do not know. Then I want you to write down the interaction, what you observed, what happens, how it goes. The woman said she thought this was going to be pretty easy. She said, I'm kind of naturally outgoing. I smile at lots of people. I say hello to everyone I meet. I think this is going to be fine. But then she said a few days later, early Saturday morning, her family got up. It was kind of chilly outside. They decided to go to McDonald's for a hot breakfast. She said they had been waiting their turn in line. They were just getting up to the counter. She was about to make her order, and she noticed that everybody around her began to move slowly away. She said she sort of had a feeling of panic come over her. Something bad she thought was about to happen from behind her. She stood frozen. Nothing happened. So then she slowly turned around. And then she saw these two men 
in raggedy clothes, and then it hit her nostrils, this overwhelming smell of a dirty body. She said, of course, of course, her first impulse was to move away like everyone else. But the man in front, a shorter man, she said, looked right at her, and he was smiling. And he said, good morning. So she said, I looked at him. He had beautiful blue eyes. I said, good morning back, and let him take his turn at the counter. He had a little bit of change. He was kind of counting the change. The girl at the counter asked, what would you like, sir? And he said, just coffee, please, and counted out the money on the counter. They served him the two cups of coffee. He took one, gave one to the other man. The other man had kind of been standing behind him, kind of fidgeting with his hands, seemed uneasy. She said, I think maybe he had some kind of extra challenge he was dealing with in his life. But they took their coffee and went around the corner and out of sight. She said, I got my platter that I had ordered. Then I decided to order two more. She said she ordered two breakfast platters, took them, went around the corner to see if the men were still there. There they were in the corner booth, sitting alone. She said, I went over and put the platter down on the table. The man with the sparkling blue eyes looked up and said, thank you. She said, I think I detected some tears welling up in his eyes. I stood for a moment smiling, then I reached down and began to pat his hand. He said, thank you again. She said, I did not do this for you. God is here working through me to give you hope. And then she said she turned and went back to her table. By then she said, I had tears trickling down my face. I sat down with my family. Nobody said a word for a while. And then my husband said, honey, I think God gave me you to give me hope. Oh, no one anything except to love one another. Love, as it's used in the Bible, can be a good deal more challenging than what we at first might think. It helps me to remember that love, this word love used in the scriptures, comes from the word agape. It does not mean romantic love, like I have particularly strong feelings for you. Nor does it come from that idea of loving another family member and caring for those who care for you. No, love, the way it's used in this passage, comes from that Greek word agape. It means to will the good for the neighbor. Will the good. For the neighbor, for the other person, whether you like them or not, to want good to come to them as a child of God, as a fellow human being. To love your neighbor as yourself is to want good to come to them. Christians are called to this kind of love in our lives. I think it's a higher calling or a higher ethic than we're used to living up to in our culture or our society. A devotion I read this week was talking about a passage from Matthew. It was talking about being clear-sighted as a Christian. It was working off this passage from Matthew that says, If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But the translation they had used read like this, 
If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. Then the authors wrote, the eye of the soul is the will. If your one desire is God's kingdom, to find that kingdom, to serve that kingdom, then truly shall your whole body be full of light. When you're told to seek first the kingdom, they wrote, the first step is to secure that your will is for that kingdom. A single eye to God's glory, desiring nothing less than that kingdom come, seeking in all things the advance of God's kingdom first. Oh, no one anything except to love one another. Too often, I find that I decide how to treat somebody by how they treat me. I don't mean for it to be this way, but then it becomes all about me. If I think they're attacking me, I begin to protect me, to try to make me look good, to try to get my way, to try to make sure I'm right. And before I know it, all my energy is focused on me. I've lost that single eye, as the devotional writer said, to be on God's kingdom and God's glory because I'm so focused on me. The first step they pointed out in that devotional, was secure that your will is for God's kingdom. Because it's all about God. It's about God's glory, about what God is doing in the world and how we cooperate with God. For Christians, for those who have committed to be followers of Christ, it should be all about what God is doing in us through Christ, what God is doing in the world that we can be a part of to bring God's kingdom alive, enfleshed in the world. My behavior as a Christian should start with me looking inside about what God has done in me. Then finally, it has to be because of who I am, not who my neighbor may or may not be. At our best, we live as Christians with Christ alive in us. And we attend to that Spirit of God at work at us through Christ so that it comes out in the way we live and pours into the world. Christ alive in us. Then Christ at work in us, changing us and transforming us. Then Christ alive through us into the world. Paul says, owe no one anything except to love one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then in verse 10 he adds, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Have you ever wrong someone else it's a movie out now released by netflix i had opportunity to see it a couple of weeks ago it's called highwaymen it's about bonnie and clyde but this time the story's told 
from a different perspective. Rather than their view, it's told about these two old Texas rangers that were brought out of retirement because of this crime spree that nobody could seem to stop. The two rangers are played by Kevin Costner and Woody Harrelson. They're quite a pair. But they begin to try to track Bonnie and Clyde as they crisscross across Texas and Oklahoma and Kansas. And even though it's not showing the perspective of Bonnie and Clyde, it does show what happened across our states in this part of the country when they're on this crime spree. They are notorious. They begin to make headlines. I don't think it's too strong to say they become celebrities. People are kind of cheering for them watching for what they'll do next now remember they're robbing banks that is they're taking my money or your money and doing with it what they want and they're shooting to death anybody who gets in their way and yet they have this rise in popularity among the common people it's the early 1930s the great depression is going on maybe that accounts for why people could celebrate these two who are wreaking havoc on everyday people. Maybe it's kind of a Robin Hood thing going on. Maybe it's something in their fancy clothes and their fancy cars and the money they throw out on the streets after they rob a bank that helps people think maybe I could have a piece of that somehow. Or maybe it's just a great diversion because the Great Depression was so dreary and overwhelming. But it's hard to explain. As I watched the movie, I thought, how do you explain this? They are wreaking havoc with every town in which they stop, and yet people are clamoring to be close to them, as if somehow they're doing good for these communities. The movie showed, though, the brutality, the carnage, the death that they imposed on so many. At the end of the movie, after the video part is over and before the credits run, it tells you a little bit about their funerals. And it tells you that thousands, tens of thousands of people went to their funeral. I think we have to be really careful that we don't get caught up in doing harm and celebrating evil in our midst. Paul reminds us of these commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. You shall do no wrong to a neighbor. John Wesley, the Reverend Dr. John Wesley in England in the 1700s is spearheading this religious revival. People begin to come to him wanting spiritual guidance. He begins to meet with them and pray with them. The numbers grow. He realizes pretty soon he can't meet with everybody. He begins to organize them into different groups called societies. Finally, he writes out some rules for these societies. You may remember them. They became known as the three general rules of method. Methodism. They're still printed in our United Methodist Book of Discipline. That's our guidebook for faith and practice. Remember what the first rule was? Do no harm 
avoid every kind of evil. And then Wesley lists all kinds of what he thought were evil things in 1700s England. Paul lists a few of the Ten Commandments and then reminds us, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Because love does no wrong to a neighbor. I began to think back across my own life. I thought back to when I was a teenager. I have an older brother. Sometimes he did mean things to me. And as you might imagine, I just loved him through it. (laughs) Or, perhaps what's closer to reality, I began to scheme and think and figure, we live together, I can get him back. I'm going to have my opportunity. I'm going to get him in trouble. I'll embarrass him. I'll humiliate him. I'll get him in trouble with my parents. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Oh, jump to my 30s. I've got a couple of little daughters. They start screaming and fighting. What do I do? Go and love them? I scream louder. (laughs) Jump to my 40s. They're teenagers. Guess what they're doing? They're screaming at each other. It's driving me crazy. I scream louder. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. So many complexities in our lives. It's so easy to choose to do something on our behalf that hurts somebody else. But Paul reminds us the good life is to love your neighbor as you love yourself, to agape your neighbor as you love yourself, because agape. Willing the good does no wrong to your neighbor. Earlier in this book of Romans, Paul has already written to these early believers in Rome. He's told them about the good news. He has said, the good news is that God loved them first. He writes it like this, while we were yet sinners, Paul says, Christ died for us. God loves us first. And Paul says once you grasp that, once you receive that love, it changes your life. That was in chapter 5. We're in chapter 13. And now Paul is saying God needs you. Those of you who have experienced the love of God, God needs you. God needs your witness. God needs your life to witness to this great love that comes from above and poured into our lives and into our world. Oh, no one anything, Paul writes, except to love one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Can you hear God saying, Boston Avenue Church I need you to witness to this love. Boston Avenue Church, I need your witness. Can you hear God calling your name and saying, I need your witness in Tulsa or in Jinx or in Sepulp or in Sand Springs or in Arkansas or wherever you live? I need your witness, those of you who believe. 
I need your witness, those of you who call yourselves followers of Christ. I need your witness. I need your life to witness to this great love, alive, transforming, leading us into an abundant future. Paul says to these Christians, and I think to you and me, now is the time. After he gives the instructions about love, then he says, now is the time. Down in verse 12, he says, let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the armor of light. Be a Christian. Live it out. You remember last week, if you were here, we were in chapter 12. Paul was writing about love in that chapter as well. And remember, I told you he's calling for action. He's saying to love is to serve, is to contribute, is to extend hospitality, is to be zealous for the Lord. That's chapter 12. This week we switch to 13, and he goes back to the same theme. How important love is to the good life, to the Christian life. And he says in this part, it's more than belief. Oh, belief is a part of it. But it's a lifestyle. It's the choices you make every day. It's the way you go about your business each and every day. Loving your neighbor as yourself. Paul is saying that's the good life. Cultivate that in your life and you'll experience what God intends for you to experience. Paul says if you forget everything else, let me just sum it up in this one word. There's just this one part to hang on to as you go forth to live as a Christian, as a follower of Christ. Love your neighbor as yourself. Amen.